Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Robert. Goten Tag. Indeed, we're going to be all European today, as this was indeed the week we talked about a little bit last week, which is the uh, World Championships of Warhammer. It's essentially the World Cup of Warhammer, and they took on a much more World Cup-style format. We're going to get into that in a little bit of detail. Didn't have as much detail last week as one of the key things leading up to this event. Tremendous amount of secrecy around lists and strategies. And now that uh, lists were locked in, uh, it was time to pick apart what people have chosen and some of the thoughts going into the tournament, as well as how it all shook down. So we're going to be a very international episode tonight. Uh, first question I got, Robert, if you could visit any country in the world, what would it be? I mean, there's always Germany because heritage and whatnot. Or, you know, I could go to try to steal a Kiwi from New Zealand. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to travel to most of Europe, so I would love to go back. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if I had to play someplace I haven't been to, I'd probably be Japan. That's one thing I haven't. I've always also we kind of t- dipped our toe a little bit into the Asian meta when it came to 40k. So I'm kind of curious to. That'd be a lot of fun to play a tournament over there. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yep, a very cramped space, probably though. That that would be the, probably one of the key issues there. Speaking of cramped spaces, so I'll tell you a little bit more about the format. We touched on it briefly last week, so I'll just kind of go into uh, greater depth here. Those of you unfamiliar with the team format, there are eight members on each team in the WTC. Each player can uh, uses a codex of choice. That codex cannot be repeated across two teams. That includes any sort of allied system. So, for example, if a player uses chaos-based brains with demons, both codexes have been used. You cannot have a separate demons-only player on your team. Each team roughly represents a nation, usually as defined. They use uh, FIFA for the uh, World Soccer Association for determining who it qualifies as a uh, country by itself. So that's one of the reasons why England, Wales, and Scotland compete separately as opposed to as a United Kingdom team. Uh, other key things, the way this works, is team captains uh, put their players uh, up forward in a selection system. This is where a lot of the strategy comes in and separates uh, not only the team uh, part of the game, but also the list building. So, for example, uh, if uh, Ray, excuse me, um, Robert and I were uh, going against each other as team captains, we would roll off. If I were the defender, I would have to put one of my teammates first. So then Robert could go through his entire roster of teammates and find out which player he wants to play the player I put forward first. And of course, he's going to choose the most advantageous uh, matchup in this particular case. And it goes back and forth until all eight players are uh, matched up. They play their games, they add up their scores, and then because uh, they, will be, they need to win by so many points to count as a win, so as we'll get into some of the ties, although some teams may have won by one or two points, it was not a big enough uh, spread to count as a win or a loss. Beyond that, uh, the champion is crowned similar to soccer, two points for a win, one point for a tie, zero points for a loss. One thing they did differently this year is the first three rounds, they had actually grouped the, each of the nations into pods, very similar to the grouping stage when it comes to soccer. After that, they resumed the top teams uh, went against each other using traditional uh, Swiss pairings. So 
So what does that mean? Well, um, some more competitive podcasts also talk about the, the shambles that the meta is in right now. Personally, it's like, okay, give it time. <laughs> we just had an addition change. Uh, we're still in index 40K. Uh, take a breath. Well, unfortunately, these guys can't take a breath. They're about to play in a world stage. So lo and behold, everybody had an Eldar list. Everybody had a Custodes list. Go forward from there. All the most powerful armies on there. Strategy then becomes, if everybody has an Eldar list, how do you beat it? Yep, that is always the adventure is once you kind of figure out who the boogeyman is, you either figure out how to avoid them or how to be a better boogeyman. So when we look at individual performances, uh, some players, you're like, well, why was this guy so held as such a good player? He didn't win that many games. Sometimes your list is designed not so much to beat the Eldar. For example, in this case, if you're going up against Eldar, we have a list that, yeah, you might win, but you're only going to win by a few points, in which case you're not really helping your team. If you've got the biggest and baddest boogeyman, you should be maxing out your points for your team. And if you can take points away from that player then it helps your other matchups down the road so we'll speak they use a 20 point system and so for example the expectation is that the Eldar player should be maxing out at 20 points for their team so when you hear that the Eldar player may have run into a matchup and only got 11 points that's a huge win even though the other player lost so that's one of the key things that comes into the strategy and of course how'd you do in the other matchups so as I mentioned, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Robert. No, no, it was the because the one time that I've had experience with the team format was when we went to the Las Vegas team tournament a couple years ago. And that was only with five folks. And the scoring and the winning system was a little bit different than this one. This one it is very much a total score, if I remember correctly, out of all your tables. Uh total score, correct. Yeah, whereas at the LVTT, it, they were experimenting with just a win versus losses, <clears throat> a wins versus losses scenario. So best three out of five. So that kind of took some of the wind out of. I understand why they did that. If they felt as a first-time team event, they wanted to make it simpler for a lot of new players going into it. But it took some of the nuance of the team matchup of it out of it as a matter of fact when we interviewed uh this was before robert was actually brought on as a co-host uh when we interviewed robert and we kind of went rescored all his rounds from his team using differential i think you actually picked up two wins uh would have been a very impressive standing so yeah it was something very very specific in that differential scoring it rewards you for being an exceptional player and being able to get 100s every game because then that makes it a 20 to zero score. Well, if you've had a couple games like we've had in the, like I've personally had in the past with Eric, where it's one by maybe 15 points, that's not a very strong game for a team score. Right. More than just winning. You need to show that you can dominate the, that particular matchup. And when you get to remember your, your coach is picking the matchups or your team captain, I should say. And, um, so the idea is to get the most points out of that particular matchup. Mm -hmm. So that's where some of the mistakes can be made at that particular point. Yep. That's why you kind of hear the idea of here's a skewed list where it's like, here's three Baneblade chassis, because if we can throw this into 
this kind of matchup, they aren't going to score as many points. Yeah, the Bane Blades are still going to lose, but they're, they're going to be a nuisance and keep his score down really low. Whereas we're going to take our Eldar player and we're going to throw them into like a night matchup where the Eldar can literally blow you off the table in two turns and score a perfect score. There's also thoughts of what are called overload lists, and uh, your your team may have the answer for one night list, so we're going to see if we can put out three night lists. You're like, wait a minute, how do you do that? Well, one Imperial Knight, one Chaos Knight, and then similar, a like a Monster Mash list with demons. Mm-hmm. Do you have three answers for that same problem? If they do, you could be in a lot of trouble, but if you don't, uh, that team can roll over you. So there's all these different strategies in building lists. I have to say, from a list standpoint, this particular season, a lot of that had to do with the addition change happening so rapidly. A lot of teams played it safe. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of similarities on everyone's lineup. But there are two lists in particular that had everyone's attention prior to the event. And uh, let's go over those now, because I think both of these could translate to the singles game very easily. Yep. So before we do cover these, Eric, you mm-hmm. are coming in a little bit choppy over your microphone. I am. I apologize. All right. Let me see if I can work on that. While you go so we are going to start in France because they are the fancy pants. And we have Olivier Weiss with Black Templars, a very unusual choice in the current Space Marine format because of the fact that everyone kind of figured, oh, take Gladius Task Force and then you can bring whatever flavor of Space Marine you want. Well, he decided to bring the actual Righteous Crusaders detachment, which would restrict what he can bring, but it gives him other options. And this is something that's going to start getting some traction where people start trying out actual Marine detachments. So that way they can go, yeah, these are actual Blood Angels. These are actual Dark Angels and so on and so forth. So... His three characters consist of two chaplains with jump packs. One of them has the Sigismund seal enhancement. And then he has chaplain Grimaldus with a full entourage. So, but he did make the chaplain with the jump pack with the Sigismund seal, the warlord instead of Grimaldus. Cause Grimaldus is not the Supreme commander, I believe. And then his only unit of battle line is a massive 20-man brick of Primaris Crusaders. This kind of threw me off for a little bit because you would expect to see MSU kind of things with Templars where they can just kind of be all over the table. But no, no, here's my one big brick of dudes. Has a whole bunch of initiates and then some Pyre Blasters in there, some Neophytes, and then, yeah. It's 320 points of I'm going to attach a character here and you're never going to get to that character until you kill this unit. And then the fun... Go ahead. That unit's very killing to be in with, too. Yeah, because it's... Like, you have a sword brother with a power weapon and a pyre pistol, and then you got a whole bunch of chain swords, and then you have close combat weapons, and it's really just a bunch of dice machine. Like, it throws out a whole bunch. Yeah, throw an Oath of Moment, and I believe there's a plus one to wound in there as well. It, it's it's dicey. So Yeah. So then we move on to the other data sheets where he brings two big units of jump yeah, jump pack assault marines. 
and these are what you would actually expect to see from stuff like Blood Angels and Black Templars. They're Thunder Hammers, and well, there's a Thunder Hammer that exists in there with the Sergeant, and then a whole bunch of dudes with chain with chain swords and an Eviscerator flowing in there. So again, more dice to throw around at people. And then two Inceptor squads. So these ones never saw a lot of play in ninth edition because they were supposedly not great. But in 10th edition, they are three 40 millimeter bases for just shy of 120 points. Oh, I know. I'm thinking of the suppressors, the ones with the auto cannons. Duh. The inceptors are the ones that got nerfed real quick with like the plasma guns and stuff. So many Epter, so many Epter kind of units. So yeah, but these guys are still really cheap 40 millimeter bases that can dodge into a corner to do something like investigate signals or behind enemy lines, engage in all fronts, stuff like that. They don't have to be very good. They just have to be able to land and stick. And then we have a single land speeder, two units of sniper scouts, and then three whirlwinds. And that is the entire list. It sure it gives up a whole bunch of assassinate points. But I mean, it's three characters. You can't avoid it. Um, a lot of the units are not the easiest to pick up because they're either hidden or really big. So it'll take a lot for you to chew through the units, and some of them, they're not even worth shooting at, like the random land speeder. <laughs> but the, the three whirlwinds is probably the most important part of the list because of the fact that it gives him, like, no advances, no charge, like, minus two to charge, minus two to move, like, a whole bunch of, I'm going to slow you down for me to come to you. It's just... Uh... A very compact, very purposeful list, but it just does the job so well. It's, it's a very interesting mm -hmm. list. Yep. But it does kind of show the way the initial meta is kind of rolling out, where everyone was super scary, was super worried about Tank Hammer, where we're just going to see the big vehicle meta. Well, maybe on the local level, because vehicles are a tough nut to crack. But if you bring all vehicles, you're not going to be able to do all your secondaries very easily. And then people can just go, oh, yeah, no, here's my melted guns. <laughs> but the other list that is a little more jumpy is from the USA and from the Art of War team, Mr. Harpster. And he brought Grey Knights. As far as I can tell, if taking a skim over the armies and the team compositions, I think he's maybe like one of two or three Grey Knights at the entire WTC. That's just a rough guess. I believe, yeah, I believe that was the case as well. And I've seen a variant of this play that alas RTT and admittedly that player says he only had got a couple games into it, but I know he since has won an RTT with it. So I was like, now imagine a pilot like Jack Harpster running a very similar list. I was like, Ooh, this could be 
very, very interesting. Yeah, this is the kind of scenario that happened with Richard Siegler with his crazy like nine infiltrator list or something like that that he took to LVO when he won it. The crazy aggressive ad mech list that just kind yep. of took over the table. So the three characters he has is a normal brother captain, a grandmaster, and then Kaldor Drago. So noticeably no Grandmaster Dread Knights. Because they're unless they're a listed as a different unit, then at that point I'm gonna be totally wrong. Nope, never mind. I am not wrong. So the Warlord is in fact Mr. Drago. The Grandmaster and the Brother Captain both have enhancements. One has a sigil of ex- sigil of exigence and the first to the fray, which I'm assuming gives something like fight first. I'm not a fan of Grey Knights. I don't play Grey Knights. I never plan on playing them, so I don't remember what half of this stuff does. And then... I still have PTSD from 5th edition, so yeah, I can't really answer some of these questions. I, I know the <laughs> basics of the uh, attachment rules and some key stratagems, so curious to see yeah, the, what, what pieces he brought to the list and how he applies them. Yeah, I I've known from playing Grey Knight, playing against Grey Knights a couple of times in ninth edition, and then having a brief read over tenth, they are extremely mobile. Unlike their Thousand Sons, evil cousins who are extremely lethal, these guys will just be all over the table. So For those who don't know, they have an ability to pick up. I believe is D three, or is it actually three full units? Per turn and put them into strategic reserves, mm-hmm. and and then they do it at the end of your opponent's turn, and so they come in on his own turn, and then there's a stratagem where they can do this, and they can come in as close as three inches to an opposing unit. So and you got to remember they have a fair amount of shooting, they have a fair amount of psychic powers. They don't need to charge to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, this is this is quite and especially yeah playing the mission with this. Ouch. Hmm. Yep. And here are the three units that are going to be moved around every game because I'm going to think that each of the characters may or may not be in like Terminator armor because his two first two other units are Terminator squads. Big old 10 man bricks of them. Yikes. That is almost a thousand points in just two units of his entire list. On the wounds, though. Yeah. And the last one is a 10-man brick of paladins. This is a 510-point <laughs> unit. So quite literally, he's running around with 30 Terminator bodies. So two up save, lots of wounds. Probably like toughness five, at least. And they all have the full fixings. So they have the banner in there. They have the Narthesium, which I'm assuming gives them a field of pain. Because that's usually what's attached to an apothecary. A whole bunch of force weapons, some storm bolters, um, incinerators, which I'm assuming are flamers. And then the Paladin squad is just more of that. And then the last two units that he has is he has a Calidus Assassin and then an Exaction Squad. So I'm very familiar with these two existing in stuff like Custodes because 
that's 150 points of I'm going to vect one stratagem and I'm going to have one unit be on this button that's really, really obnoxious to move. So lots of buzz with these two lists. Everyone's asking, say, how is this going to play out? Because these were, like I said, everyone was knew what the other list would be. This was something that two lists that would could be that winning list in the fourth or fifth matchup. Mm. The other news right before the tournament started, uh, literally, uh, they were already in uh, Europe. And they actually used to do a singles event ahead of time. We don't talk too much about the singles event because not everybody plays in the singles event because they don't want to tip off what armies they're playing or how they'll play with them. So um, congratulations to the winners there, but we won't go over in too much detail as it was kind of more of a kind of on a, a, what's the word, a ceremonial event as opposed to a, a true championship. Mm -hmm. But uh, between the singles event and the team event, unfortunately, there was an illness among a player at Team Scotland. So a uh, fellow Smite Club member and member of Team USA, who was there as an alternate, Ben Jurek, uh, was recruited by Team Scotland to fill in. So um, it's been a wild ride for Mr. Jurek in the last few months. I think got Ben McJurek. Yes. So you go from a guy who has been playing orcs for the better part of five years, six years, we'll say, disqualified mm -hmm. uh, for Team USA playing Eldari, and then arrives and says, not only are you going to play for Team Scotland, because everything else is crap, but you're also going to play Astro Militarum, because I forgot to mention this were locked like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll follow up some of Ben's exploits on the other team, um, but it's a great experience. I think it's a great experience for everyone involved. It's great for Ben. Uh, he was there also celebrating his uh, anniversary to his lovely wife, and uh, but also went from being an alternate to getting some real first team action, uh, and which would be a huge boon for Team USA for future years. And should he make the team uh, beyond alternate, it's really really cool. Yeah, it, it does make me kind of jealous that I don't do more team formats and that I don't get enough practice that I really want to get. But not everyone can be a, at this good at 40K like Ben and most of everyone else here is at this event. That's true. Yeah, a lot of time, a lot of time spent on this on the, on this game to, to elevate to this level. So without further ado, let's get into the game by game. We'll do a quick recap of the top teams uh, round by round. As I mentioned, the first three rounds were pod format. Defending champs Australia came out swinging, taking down New Zealand 114 to 46. Uh, Team England also one of the perennial favorites, defeating Team Bulgaria 126 to 34. Team Germany and also favorite, but interesting, nobody was really talking about them this year. Uh, took down what's called one of the United Nations teams. There's uh, two or three of these teams floating around, and basically what these are are maybe teams that didn't get the full eight players on a roster, so they teamed up to form a United Nations team. Uh, this particular team ended up losing to the Germans 114 to 46. Team Scotland defeated Iceland 102 58. Team Poland, also one of the perennial favorites, took out newcomers South Africa 119 to 41. And Team Canada defeating Croatia 112 to 48. Team Canada definitely had a, they were kind of the wild card team coming into this particular championship. They've been there before. This is probably before the best. 
uh, prepared team that they've had in a ever for that matter. So it was, I decided to include them on the list to see how they did. And they had a very interesting ride. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at that first round against Team Norway for Team Canada. <clears throat> the custodians got paired into each other. That was very purposeful, too. You know that's what they were planning on. So, mm-hmm. Yep, it is the only match between everyone on that, between those eight players that came to an exact draw. Everyone else is a 20 17-3, 15-5, 17-3, 20-0, 13-7. So when you add all that up, uh, Team Canada and Norway come to a tie. 81-79, as I mentioned, you need to have win by a certain amount of points to register as a win or a loss. So Team Canada ties in round two. Uh, yeah. Furthermore, in round two, England defeats Romania. Germany crushes Luxembourg. Scotland takes on the other UN team and gets a narrow victory at 87-73. Team USA takes a terror business against Northern Ireland. Defending champs Australia defeating Portugal by a large margin in Team Poland uh, decimated Team Wales. And this was a pretty big upset. Wales is actually fairly strong on the international circuit. So to lose 127-33 was a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, I've... The last time I heard them talk about the WTC was a couple of years ago, and I think the the big scary teams were something like Poland, Russia, Wales, Australia, and England. And then they kind of threw USA in there because of the fact that it was a, yeah, we're going to root for our own boys. It's going to be great. And I think we've only come out on top of the WTC for a single year. Twice we've won it. So once under Sean Naden, once um, previously in the older days, uh, and I apologize, Captain America, what was his name? He's a, I apologize, um, the captain's name way back when. Um, did a really uh, nice job of turning the team around. I was to say, it wasn't Jeff Robinson, was it? No, it was prior to his time. Um, it was way back when. So I do apologize for that. Yeah, the, the track record for Team USA is they've been consistently inconsistent. Uh, they either make it a huge, either a title run or come in second and surprise everybody. And then the following year, they finished like ninth. Mm-hmm. And just what happened? You know, that sort of thing. Yep. So we'll see what happens this year because they uh, see what they turned around. Um so we're moving to round three. This will be the last of the pod rounds. Uh, Team USA takes out Denmark by a substantial 115-45 point win. Uh, England defeats Spain. Spain's one of those teams, again, a narrow victory here for England. This was to be a big win, 83-77. Spain is one of those contenders but never champion. Lots of great individual talent just never seems to get the team over the hump at this point. Germany defeats Switzerland. France pulls off the upset. Takes out Scotland, ninety four sixty six. France has said you. You mentioned earlier, Robert. You know, we'd love to get more team events. Apparently, in France, that's pretty much all they do is mm-hmm. team events. So they're very much uh, in tune with building their um, development system for their national team. It's probably one of the most advanced uh, national systems to develop uh, a team system in forty k, which is. Whereas United States has always been kind of the opposite end, where it's let's see if we can make individuals into team players. Yeah, and that's just something that it's part of the environment. 
because I know whenever I've heard people talk about the German meta and all the other European stuff, they very much focus on the mentality of how do I make something effective for teams once it comes around to there, because most of the team players exist across the sea. It's for the US, it's mostly a hey, we're all good at 40k. Let's try to be awesome. Let's go represent the red, white, and blue. That's not France or Australia or any other red, white, and blue country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's very interesting. And they also have a lot more team events that are like there's like a European championship. There's the eight nations championship which is mostly the english countries and, the, and there's like three others that they throw in as mercenaries so it's very different format whereas for us really the atc is it you know they mm-hmm. i don't even think the las vegas team tournament was hosted this year is it, if i correct no nah, this time around it was not hosted this year right and i don't think it ran last year either i couldn't remember i was just double checking because i said that out loud Anyway, let me uh, finish off round three here. Uh, Canada does defeat Ireland, uh, 90 to 70, another close matchup. Australia escapes uh, Belgium, only winning 83 77, very narrow margin there. And Poland uh, takes care of Finland quite handedly, 106 to 54. So that ends our pod portion of the programming. We now move into true Swiss pairing, so now the matchups get a little bit harder. And uh, right off the bat, England, uh, their turn to escape they escaped spain in the previous round uh surprise surprise austria all countries gave a good run uh but england's able to pull out the wind 87 73 poland defeats sweden uh quite handily 103 57 and unfortunately that pretty much uh eliminated sweden from further contention and any other day this would be the matchup of the of the round usa germany and it was a narrow, but Team USA pulls it out, 86-74. And leading up to this, it looked like Germany needed a big win. They just didn't get it. And this would eliminate them from the rest of the tournament moving forward. But then the bigger upset happens. Defending champs Australia go down. Uh, they fall to France by a, a whopping 91-69. to and uh, luckily, Aust- Australia had some bigger wins, so they, they're still in contention at this point, and it'll be all eyes on them to see if they can pull some miracle comeback, but they're going to need some help. They are not in control of their own destiny at this point. Canada does the unthinkable. They tie again against Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> and Team Scotland was able to take out Team Ireland 93-67. Mm-hmm. Very interesting there. Yeah, like to give you guys an example of what some of these big wins look like in a team format where like the Norway versus Belgium game, this game would make most people feel bad because it was 123 to 37. That's a trouncing by score. That is, that is just not okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of like if to our to our American uh, sports fans, that's like some of those uh, early college football games when they went like fifty six to four. You know, I don't know how they got two safeties, but you know what I mean. They, the other team barely gets like a touchdown, so it's 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 bad. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the the caliber of the play, and then usually what happens is it's the depth of the team. 
everybody's top two players are awesome. It's is the sixth player on the team. How good can they stand this particular pressure? Yep. But we end up hopping over to round five. Yeah, round five. Lots of change here. We'll start with the fun one. Canada ties the Netherlands. So yeah, <laughs> keeping their trend alive. Keep, try to keep track of this at, at home. We'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, England defeats France. So France's run gets, uh, after knocking off the team Australia, doesn't last too long. But it is a tight game at 90 to 70. Sweden gets a little bit of revenge, and they take on Germany and defeat them 90 to 70 as well. So this opens the door for Australia. If they can come up with a big win, maybe they can still sneak into the discussion. And they do. They knock off Scotland 93-65. So another uh, key thing there. This also opens the door for USA. Uh, maybe put their foot down and capture the win before the game's over. Doesn't quite happen. They take on Poland. They're able to pull out a tie. So the good news is they're still in contention. Very tough opponent against Poland. Easily one of the favorites. But it does leave the open for, door open for Australia to, to kind of still sneak back into the tournament. Life doesn't get easier for Team USA in round six. They take on England in a huge grudge match and able to pull out the tie. So two ties in a row there for Team USA. Uh, Germany, meanwhile, does defeat Canada, ending their streak of ties at this particular point, uh, 93 to 67. Now uh, Poland going up against Spain. Spain was a spoiler uh, earlier with some tight games against England, but uh, were no match for the Polish and end up losing 101-59. This may be the big enough points for uh, Poland to pull ahead. But just when you think, yep, it's all over, nah, Australia comes storming back crushing Austria 103.57. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match Whenever you're heading out for that next tournament, you can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp, or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So, if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? 
Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. So it does come down to round seven. And um, so right off the bat, Team USA defeating Sweden, 94-66, setting the tone. Canada, back to their tying ways. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they tie with Italy. Um, so that leaves Germany versus Spain, Poland versus England. Germany comes up just short. They end up tying the Span- Spanish team at 78-82. But Poland... Wow. They say, if we got to win the tournament, we got to beat some of the best teams. Mm-hmm. And they beat England soundly 100 to 60. Edge out Team USA by a single point to win the championship. Yep. And Team England, Alex Harrison, Manny Chima, Vic Vijay, Mike Porter, Matt Robertson, Nassim Fushan. Josh Robert, like all of these names regularly sit up at the top of major events like the Nottingham GT and everything else like that. Yeah, that is an absolutely stacked team. It will, it represents over half of the ITC top 10 from the past three years. And you probably say, where's David Gaylord? Well, remember, David lives in England, but he's from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Played for New Zealand. So you got to remember, you got that name on there still at the ITC. And so, yeah, absolutely stacked team. Um, it's just a shame we don't hear more about the Polish players more on the state side. So we'll see if we can rectify that for further shows. Well, maybe at that point, it's we just need to try and... I know team events are becoming more popular in the U.S., but that's something that, yeah, could actively be portrayed maybe is the team format so that way people could get used to doing that and talking about it instead of going we're going to go to ATC and we're going to bring like our five or six best singles lists and see what happens. So Robert, you want to run down, uh, since it's a bigger event, you want to run down the top five and, see, and give an idea who did what? As in the players or the teams? Teams. We'll talk teams. All right, cool. Because if it's top five players, ooh, that's a very, 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 very yeah. scattered list. So in fifth place, we end up with England going four, one, and two we have Sweden coming in fourth place, going five and two. Australia being able to squeak in that third place, going five, one, and one. And US sadly losing it by one point goes five, oh, and two with five wins, two draws. And Poland. Squeaks it out with 13 points, going 6-0-1. Those are trying to keep score earlier. The Canadians, if I told you going into this season, if I told any of the guys from Team Canada, you're only going to have one loss in the entire WTC, they would be ecstatic. Unfortunately, they only had two wins. (laughs) The rest of the... Uh, knocked out were all ties so they they respectively were in the top 10 so i give them a lot of credit for that it's one of their better finishes mm-hmm. but it was just one of those things you're gonna have to look back on that and go okay where was the opportunity to move a game here a game there to move some of those ties into the win column and do a little you know get a little further up the rankings 
Yep. And Team Scotland, even though they had a a new startup show up and barely know how to play his army, because <laughs> you know, orcs and Eldar is not Astro Militarum. Scotland comes in twelfth, going four, two, and one. Yep. And Ben definitely held his own. I was looking at his scores. Um with exception of one game where I think Reolinke scored six points, he was, he scored at least ten points in every one of his games, and um, so well done. So really, coming in out of the cold and uh, playing at this high level, it's very mm-hmm. impressive. So my hat goes off to him. Yep. And th- this is going to be a funny little haha head scratcher for me, Scary. If you ever listen to this, why Necrons? Why? <laughs> So he did speak to that in another podcast. I believe he was on. I want to give the right credit to because it's another. It's Dustin Henshaw's show, Stutter Scrub. He was on Stutter Scrub, mm-hmm. and he simply said, "As a team, what's what's he want team first? That's really why he took it." And they felt that Necrons were more competitive in the team format than Drakari. And um, so, how can I serve the team? So he did very well with, with Necrons, and, um, but yeah, he's done. WT is done. Necrons go back on the shelf, and he's back to Drakari again. So, Yeah, I don't knock him for that. I know for team events, I've kind of sat there going, well, I have Custodes available. I have Chaos Knights available. I could throw together a bad orc list. Like I have options, but most of them... I, wouldn't, I don't know the team format strong enough to be effective in that way. And also being a captain is very much a skill of making sure you get the pairings right. If your opponent gives you bad pairings, you try to avoid those as much as possible. Like it, There's an art to it, and I respect the people that are able to do it really, really well. Yeah, definitely in talent to understand that, getting a lot of data and then a little bit of gut instinct on your players. Uh, I'm in the same boat when the last time I did a team tournament, I was in the same boat that uh, Skari was in, in that um, Jukari were still in index mode. This was at the start of 8th edition, so it was like uh, index versus codex. There was definitely the haves and the have-nots, and so I looked at the team and I was like, I have Jukari, but let's be honest, it's, is that the best we can do for our team? And so, lo and behold, uh, <laughs> I put together a demon army very, very quickly. <laughs> And I still have it. I definitely enjoyed playing demons and um, may go back to them someday. But uh, for that team event, you, you sometimes have to do what's best for the team. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, they're a lot of fun. So, Yep, I definitely want to try and go to another one. It's just that takes a lot of coordinating. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, it's getting the team together, getting the events together. As a TO, you're also got to remember you're although you have maybe fewer teams and I'm using air quotes on the radio, which is brilliant, but that's still five, usually five games in the smaller tournament, eight games per round. You still need a ton of table space and there's still a ton Mm -hmm. of players at these particular events. So, yeah, that's always the fun thing is to look at team event and go, Oh, it's, it has 12 out of 36 tickets remaining. Ha 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 ha. But how many people are on each team though? Right. (laughs) Lots of so it'll be very interesting now that, uh, like I said, it, the the roster. I mean, you had a lot of Team England, uh, Team USA, also ton of top players. Uh, Team Australia as well. Just the who's who we talk about on the show week after week. 
mm-hmm. now that they're they're free to to go return to singles, curious to see what innovations they bring over the next few weeks and really redefine the meta that we have currently in 10th edition. So I'm curious to see how that all breaks out. One of my big surprises, uh, Mike Porter playing Gene Steeler Cult. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, Gene Steeler Cult is one of the boogeyman. Yeah, but I just, I had a tough time. Uh, Mike played Harlequins uh, all last year and uh, very, so a very different feel when it comes to Gene Steeler Cult. But curious to see if he continues with that in uh, singles moving forward. Well, I mean, the from chatting with Ben in passing, when you're on a WTC team, the amount of practice you have to do is ridiculous. Like if you have a full-time job that makes you work nine hours a day, you're not going to get a whole bunch of sleep for your practice games. <laughs> Cause he had to, like, I think he had to do something like one or two practice games, like every week or something. I want to say it was more than that because I also know they also had a weekend um, at Sean's Nadens, the team captain's home, mm-hmm. where they did some more pairings, and so it's a full weekend of just hashing things out. Uh, so there's more travel involved there. Yeah, it's a huge commitment. That's why you see some teams that were, you know, kind of glossed over. Uh, yeah, they lost or something like that, or lost by a big score. They may even only go every other year simply because the the travel expenses to get to some of these places. Mm-hmm. Uh, going from England to, to Belgium, not hard. Going from New Zealand to Belgium, larger travel expense. And then I got to get eight of my best friends to come with me. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and eight armies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Getting your armies there. And there is a painting competition. There are very strict painting uh, guidelines as well. So, yeah, no bare plastic at this particular event, that's for sure. And um, also very interesting is they, you know, they have their own terrain layouts, and which is interestingly very similar to what GW laid out in their mm-hmm. tournament packet. So nice to see that the game is becoming more and more uh, homogenous. So what they play at other countries is close to what we play in our backyard. So it'd be kind of nice. Also, Eric, I think this is the first time for everything. War Games Live was actually there. I believe that is. The, I was not aware that they were there. I only knew of the French streaming channel. Excellent. Yep. So throughout that entire weekend, Joe, bless your heart for flying all the way out there with your entire rigging. That's who my heart goes out for you, man. <laughs> but yes, over the entire weekend, he was able to stream at least one table from the singles event and at least one or two tables from the team event themselves. So it was definitely a 40k filled weekend. And yep, he streamed essentially six days of like almost actually almost an entire week of 40k on the world stage. Like it was crazy. That is amazing. Wow. No, I definitely have to go back and see if he if he can watch those games on rebroadcast. I don't know if they I never knew how that works on Twitch. You have to, assuming he uploads them to YouTube after a while. Well, because he mainly he almost exclusively streams on YouTube. Oh, he does. Okay. Yes. So, from 
Yep, that's ATC, ATC, ATC. Okay, so yeah, started five days ago. Um, that's when the WTC footage from the singles event came up. And it just kind of goes on from there. Excellent. That is definitely worth a watch. I definitely will find some time to carve out and watch some of those games. That sounds exciting. I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a fun time. And who knows, maybe in 2024, we'll be able to get enough people together to bring like one or two teams to the ATC here and see if we can copy Team Canada's record of four draws. Indeed. It's pretty wild. (laughs) And I now have that set as a goal. Like, I don't care how many games we lose. I don't care how many games we win. I want to have that many draws to be like, yeah, we're those guys. (laughs) (laughs) You could not beat us. (laughs) But we couldn't beat you either. So we're, we all had fun with beer and maybe pretzels. (laughs) So very exciting. Um, It kind of turns the page on the competitive season. Uh, It's said most of these players are not kind of free to do their own thing. So be curious to see how they move forward. Also, uh, so this innovation with that much practice, what else comes out of these lists? And I think Robert, you hit it on the nose. Wasn't as much vehicle spam at these particular events. So be curious to see, is that a change in the meta that vehicles aren't the way to go uh, as much as we've seen previously? Well, like the, the idea behind index 40 K is to explore is to try different things that yes, some armies are clearly overtuned. Like we can jump all the way back to the Metal Watch article that came out on the tenth, where the the bottom factions where they're less than that Goldilocks zone got a little bit bigger, and the overperforming factions got a little bit smaller. But you can clearly see the two troublemakers that are a clear chunk ahead of the pack. And those armies are overtuned. They perform too well. They hit too hard. They move too much. Whereas Imperial Knights and Custodes, they're almost there. They're almost a solid faction that people can have a good game against. It can be close, but it's not a wash. Whereas against Gene Sealer called Eldar, it's a wash. And from listening to the interview on this metal watch thing, it sounds like we're going to be getting the next balance update in September. So a few more weeks and uh, which may give them a little more insight and what else to change. One thing also that we should be getting soon is our first look at a codex for 10th edition. Indeed. What exactly what that entails. And I think, I mean, obviously, the first thing we've been told is new detachments. And each detachment will have new stratagems to go with them, which are unique to that detachment. But um, we really have not seen, you know, the full layout of what the the intent of 10th edition will be until we see this. Yep. And not to mention, we still have to see the Space Marine reveals from the Crusade event that they did right at the start of the edition. Because they showed off the Tyranid stuff. We haven't even seen what Space Marines will do yet. I'd forgotten about that. You're correct. 
but it definitely is a sign that the armies that are struggling struggle excessively to the point where you will never see them on the table unless someone absolutely loves the faction. Other armies that are performing pretty average, so stuff like Imperial Guard, like Dark Eldar, Sisters, World Eaters, all of those, if the pilot is good, if the pilot understands his army, well, their army, back like the back of his hand and maybe the back of his foot, they can definitely take games because people won't be able to play around them. But some armies are piggybacked by the fact that they're overtuned, overperforming little messes of rules combinations that probably didn't work as intended. Right. So, and it's interesting because the, the way the meta is so separated at this point, by nerfing the top two boogeyman armies, the bottom two or three probably never play those guys maybe in, a, in the average tournament, maybe in round one, because their wins percentages are so low, they may not actually see a bump by nerfing those tops. So you got to find a way to nerf the top and, and bolster the bottom at the same time. Yeah, and that's something that in the MetaWatch interview, I believe it was Stu actually brought up. They're trying to find a way to re reel in Eldar, mainly, along with Gene Steeler Colt, to but not to the point where it creates a void for Imperial Knights and Custodes to move up and then have everything else move up with it. That entire thing of you nerf the top army, well, someone takes its place. And you just have to repeat the process until everything is nerfed into oblivion. Yeah, so that's, that's a, Yeah, it's a difficult bend. Uh, I do not envy them with that. But it's... We'll just have to see what they can get done with it because I love playing my custodes not because they're the best army that I have, but they're stubborn guys and golden armor. They don't move very much. Hmm. And but I'm having more fun playing my Chaos Knights because people can actually have games against me with those. Sometimes when I play my custodes, I shut people out and I'm not exactly happy about it. I want people to actually have a game. No, definitely, um, definitely a different change in power level. So curious to see what this September balance will bring and how they fix that. So be curious to see all that coming down the pike. So any other news this week, Robert? Uh, well, just as a reminder, the Smite Club Open event is still selling tickets. They are no longer discounted. But you should be able to get a spot if you buy them now. It is September 9th and 10th, before I get the weekend wrong. And there's a plethora of events that you can come play in. And if you show up to the tournament this weekend at Imperial Outpost since I'm repairing a couple of buildings for this Mike club open, you might be able to see a few of those buildings and get an idea of what we're going to play on. Pretty awesome terrain. Also grand. And it's very much, um, as we did some test games, uh, 10th edition, uh, appropriate. So we're very excited about that without any 
particular crazy house rules, um, much like unlike uh, say like Frontlink Gaming's uh, alterations. And um, so yeah, we're excited for this particular event. Also saw that uh, a whole new order of mats came in. So we'll be having fresh mats of the correct size and so no more tape jobs. So we're excited about that. And um, we're already, based on our current ticket sales, the largest event in Arizona history. We've actually broke our own record. So we're very excited about that as well. So keep it coming. And uh, definitely get an opportunity not only to meet Robert and I in person, but just participate in a fantastic event that's um, becoming a new tradition here in the Southwest. Yep. If you end up playing me, there's a chance you'll either see two big guys and seven little knights or three big dudes, three little dudes and a pack of screamers. Just saying, I might be the ringer. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond that, um, the new releases this week looks like some old Kill Team um, boxes that were originally in larger sets are being sold individually. So there might be some opportunity to pick up some unique figures. But I remember none of those have unique rules in 40k and some of them i don't think even have rules that i can't remember if the beastman actually made it into index 40k or not i have to look at that and i'm honestly not sure for me the one that gets the big ooh and ah they finally get to order it remember that like phobos box that was released with like the master of possessions and everything mm-hmm those are finally getting sold separately. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't realize it's been that long. Okay. Yeah, so you can finally buy a essentially a, spa a combat patrol with the eliminators, the infiltrators, the suppressors, and then the captain with the relic shield and the lieutenant with the storm shield, and then finally the master of possessions is coming out on his own. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize it's been that long. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I might get the Inquisitorial Agents because they are they can ally into Custodes. They're cheap enough. <laughs> and then one other last bit of news. It's not necessarily 40K related, but very cool on Games Workshop's point. Uh, and I want to give them the props they deserve. Uh, on Warhammer Plus, they had a Age of Sigmar cartoon, finally. If you're an Age of Sigmar fan, you must be like, this took long enough. I actually found it very entertaining. I don't know much about the lore behind the Sigmarines and uh, the way Age of Sigmar runs, but I found this show, it's uh, Black Talon, very entertaining and kind of uh, gave a really nice insight into what's going on. And even, even the good guys of Sigmar aren't that good. So it's kind of neat to see that. Well, the added fun is every one of the major characters, uh, each one of those Sigmarines, has gotten their own figure and they this became available so you can actually buy the figures as they appear in the cartoon it was really really cool i was really excited to see that yeah that's actually really really cool it's we get all of the the space marine characters and guard characters and stuff like that from special edition boxes and stuff but the the fact that there's oh yeah here's all these characters for a series we just released. Go ahead and get them. Like if they did something for like ogres, like if they brought back greasiest gold tooth or something as a ogre character in a show. Oh, you better believe I would get the new greasiest model 
because I have the old one where he's lounging on a pile of snotlings. <laughs> it would be pretty cool. Yeah, it was really neat. Need to see that. And um, I, I've fallen a little bit behind on my warmer plus uh, viewership. I know they've at least a few new battle reports I still need to get caught up on, but um, I'm still waiting for the uh, Nexus show to come out. That that looked really interesting. With yeah, the I've Necrons not been watching the them. Forces. Yeah, I'm not watching them currently just because of the fact that I have myself on a painting rotation of 40k and two other games. So, yeah, that hobby progress is just as important. So, but anyway, yep. so that, yeah, just wanted to point out Bravo. I think that's pretty awesome. So, other than that, I think that's basically it, Eric. I think that's it. So again, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors. Again, we, if you're traveling both internationally or just to the local game shop, we also have um, you know some of our sponsors to provide some wonderful transport opportunities. Take a, take a look at that. Uh, if you need to get them painted, White Cross Studios is a great option as well. So uh, take, take another listen to our commercials. Uh, these sponsors do really good work. In the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast.